All right, here we go. Welcome to the Marathon Running Podcast. I have on the line with me from Stillwater, Oklahoma, Mikhail Montgomery. And briefly, for listeners not familiar, um, she recently ran a personal best of 234.36 at the Marathon Project this past December in Chandler, Arizona at age 36. And earlier last year, 2020, um, placed 30th at the Olympic Trials Marathon in Atlanta with a personal best at the time of 238.20. She's a wife, a mother, PhD in nutritional sciences, and professor at Oklahoma State University. Uh, Mikhail, thanks for being here. Welcome to the show. Thanks for the invite. This is cool. So I thought I could start by reading something that I think you wrote uh, (laughs) back in December. It looks like you did a sort of written interview with Fast Women, Mm -hmm. which they posted on Instagram. You can follow Fast Women at Fast Women, by the way. Um, And you gave a nice, you wrote a nice little summary of your running career. Mm Mm-hmm. And I thought I could just read it really quickly and then kind of use that as sort of an outline for our conversation here. Yeah, sounds good. All right, so here it is. It's called This part of the interview is called Her Running Journey. I started running when I was 15. I didn't have a car, so I would run to basketball practice. I made the varsity basketball team that fall and won my first, my first track state championship that spring. I had a very lackluster three and a half years at TCU before finally coming around and winning the Mountain West Conference 10,000 meters my senior year. In grad school, I ran as many small road races with prize purses I could find to help supplement my research and teaching assistantships. From there, I set my sights on qualifying for the Olympic trials and the marathon. I missed by 68 seconds in 2012 by six seconds in 2016 finally sailed by it for my for 2020 and now we're here um my first question is backing up to college Mm -hmm. by the end of college you know you were a conference champion what were you thinking about running at that time were you was it even a thought to maybe keep running competitively and where where were you in terms of like I mean, did you qualify for nationals? Was running professionally even something that you were interested no. in or on your radar? No, I was not particularly talented. Actually, I'm a pretty used championships. Typically, conference championships, you know, usually aren't that fast. They're more of a chess match. And that was my game. I'm pretty good, you know, playing the mind game. So in that, I just sort of, you know, had a think better race strategy to win conference. It wasn't in a fast time. I wasn't particularly good. And actually I was so stinking overrunning by the end of college. I, uh, I went home and I just didn't for about a month. And my mom was like, this seems weird. And I was like, yeah, it is kind of weird. I think I'll go back to it. And I was kind of started grad school and ended up, I was running around Stillwater and I kept running literally into women on the team and they asked if I wanted to join them, which was great. So it kind of got me back into it again without like more low stakes because could show up to practice or not. And it was awesome. 
So by the end of college, you had pretty much had a path in mind professionally. You knew you were going to go to grad school and do the academic thing. That sounds so great. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I always tell people I, I, I've been just blessed to always follow whatever I'm interested in. Um, so when I started college, I kind of got in, took a food nutrition class to figure out how I could be good at running. Loved it. Decided to major in nutrition. Um, studied dietetics. So I'm, I'm actually a registered dietitian as well. So I could practice clinically too. Um, but that, uh, I didn't really decide during that time that I didn't really like doing that. I just loved learning about food. And I, so it was time to graduate and I was like, oh no, I have this degree for a job I don't want. <laughs> and luckily, uh, you know, that happens to the best of us. Luckily, one of my advisors was like, oh, relax, you know, you could go to grad school. And I was like, I, I'm here on a Trek scholarship. I don't have money for grad school. This is not, you know, and she, I mean, I don't know. I got fortunate. She said, oh, no, no, you'll figure it out. Um. Got really lucky, applied back in Oklahoma, where I was from originally, and it turned out the graduate coordinator of Oklahoma State's brother had taught me high school calculus. And he said, you're going to want her there, make her an offer. And they actually made me a great research assistantship offer, and the rest was kind of kismet after that, because it was a great fit for me. Okay, so you you got this job, and you're kind of getting back into running. How do you go from casually kind of hopping in road races to try to win some money here and there to get the idea where you want to qualify for the Olympic trials and the marathon. What happened? Um, well, I had been uh, training with a girl, which we were just friends that was here on the Oklahoma state team. And she, um, she's Norwegian and she was actually back home coached by Jack White's, the great, great of White's. <laughs> husband and she ended up being the Norwegian 10k championship and I was like if my training partner can be a national champion I could maybe do something too so it kind of put the bug in me and so if some friends you know mentioned you know the trials is it's a long way but you're maybe there let's let's try for it and so I got bit by it then like if she can do it I can do it I want to do this and then yeah I just kept getting closer and closer and Okay. So it sounds like you, you had a really kind of motivational person to run with and mm -hmm. got motivated. And were you basically just doing whatever she did? Is that, was that your whole approach to yeah, training? Basically it was, yeah, it was kind of interesting. Um, and it kind of worked out nicely. I, um, so I had a season of indoor eligibility left when I was during my master's degree and the uh, coach put me on a little small scholarship to train with the team but you know indoors done in february um and so he kind of i, I don't want this guy doesn't have a job anymore <laughs> for probably some good reasons so i would say i don't want to throw him under the bus but he kind of <laughs> guilted me into you know you're you're still getting money but like you're not running for us anymore so he workhorsed me um he had some girls that didn't get along very well on the team and so they wouldn't practice together so i would do both their practices um so I practiced on me. yeah just yeah was just kind of this little work course but I ended up having a bunch of terrible races because I was exhausted all the time <laughs> and then suddenly realizing yeah I was pretty fit um but it was kind of a just an interesting time I, I always had 
you know, you always like winning. I don't know if you know, Oklahoma has a Oklahoma City Marathon, Memorial Marathon. Um, and it's a really neat event, you know, at part to remember the people lost in the in the bombing in 96. And um, so I had in my mind, you know, that that was something I wanted to do. And then so I signed, it, signed up to do it. And it was my my spring semester of the year I was trying to finish my Ph.D. My advisor kind of put the old. If you don't start start focusing more on science and less on running you're not you're not going to graduate and it kind of just pissed me off so I said I'm going to win that race this year (laughs) and I did which was awesome and Oklahoma City is kind of cool um they live stream it it's like in Oklahoma it's like winning Boston like you're famous people know you they see you walking down the street I still that was in 2013 I still hear people I remember when you won Oklahoma city, I remember watching that race. It was kind of, so yeah, it's kind of fun. And then you get, anytime you get win and you get a little kind of running famous, it's just more motivational. Mm. <laughs> right. But that wasn't your first marathon, was it? No, that was my third. Yeah. And just from what I gathered over the internet here, mm-hmm. um, from what I could find, your first marathon was in Dallas, 2011. Does that sound right? I actually ran Chicago um, like eight weeks before that. That was my oh, okay. to try to qualify. Um, I man, talk about rookie mistakes. Yeah, it was my first marathon ever. You know, the, back then the qualifier was uh, two forty six, and uh, I'd never ran that distance before. I ran went through half in one nineteen. <laughs> wow. Came home the hard way and closed in 128, 129. Oh, uh, that's pretty disappointing considering how close you were overall. Yeah. So and it, time-wise. It was a tough one. And then I so uh, tried again like 10 weeks later and got a little closer, but not close enough. And Yeah, it seems like after that, you just kind of ran a whole bunch of marathons, <laughs> kind of in the high 240s and 250s. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden... Just here recently, like I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like 2019 Chicago, where you ran 240, 50, mm-hmm. was that kind of your first, whatever you want to call it, breakthrough race? Yeah. Or was there another one before that? No, it was my first breakthrough race. And it was actually my first um, big race after having my little girl. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was shocked to say. How, how soon after? She was 10 months old. So, okay. you wow. know. Some time, but not a ton. Um, nope. Yeah, it was kind of an interesting, actually. So, yeah, I did a lot. I just kind of ran a lot. Um, just something I enjoy. So through pregnancy, I kept running. I actually averaged seventy miles a week through twenty weeks pregnancy, and then my SI joint popped completely out, just out of my hip, and they couldn't get it back in. <laughs> and so uh, that was brilliant. So I, from twenty just while you were running one day, while I was running one day, my SI joint just slid oh completely out. And by the time I got home, I was spasming so bad and so locked up, they couldn't get it in. They couldn't give me an X-ray because I was pregnant. They couldn't give me pain medicine because I was pregnant. So this would have been early two thousand nineteen, two thousand eighteen, like okay. fall two thousand eighteen. And so I didn't run a step until about 
I wasn't even hardly able to walk until like a week after my little girl was born. So two solid months of, I swam a little bit. I so you're saying for the, for the second half of your pregnancy, you were basically just limping, oh limping goodness. around, getting to work. I would get in the water, get in the pool just to move. Right. Um, yeah. And then uh, she, I mean, this, I don't know, it doesn't happen to everybody, but she was born. Everything kind of popped back into place. I was ready for an outlet to get back outside again. And um, I don't, it, yeah, it was really kind of shocking to me to have that breakthrough. I don't know what made me go from a 245 before being a mom to 240 then 238, then 234. And I got my sights set on some big stuff coming up. So I'm excited about it. Do you think, because for so long, so many years, you were, it's just on paper. I don't know what was going on, but on paper, it looks like you, you're trying to kind of just push up against this wall, like in the high 240s. Um, mm-hmm. on, on paper, it looks like a frustrating long period of time. And then all of a sudden you have this kind of crazy injury, you have your baby. Do you think just the time off, like kind of reset had anything to do with it? I joke that having a baby did like a hard restart on my body. (laughs) Um, You know, I kind of just had some, you know, not great choices that I was doing when I was running. Um, Just, just not, playing the whole game I've always said but never did to be a great runner is four things running core sleeping eating correctly you know well and I never never could bring myself to do all four of those things two or three two or three out of four was the best I could do and it kept ending me up in the same spot um and so yeah, once she was born, I, I give her a lot of credit because I'd spent so much time reading. I, I'd never even been around kids. <laughs> so how do you feed a baby? How do you get a baby to go to sleep? How do you <laughs> feed a toddler? How do you, you know, and one of the things that was kind of just brought it home to me was the biggest thing that you see is is kids do what you do, right? They mimic you. They, they you're going to bed routinely they're going to bed on a routine thing if you're eating fruits and vegetables they're eating fruits and vegetables they want what's on your plate if i'm eating chips she wants chips if i'm eating apples she wants apples that's that's the rule and so i really just put my lifestyle on how i wanted my daughter to live her best lifestyle i ended up um just finally you know cutting off what i would love to call my baby fat because it stuck with me through from <laughs> 18 to 34. <laughs> um, finally, I after I lost, went back down to my pre-pregnancy rate, I actually lost about another 12 pounds. And I just, it was just, I started eating the way a runner should eat. Sleeping the way a runner should eat. And um, yeah, I mean, and then finally disciplined enough to do those core workouts too, although I still hate them so much. <laughs> but you get motivated. <laughs> All right there, lesson have a baby and get your life together. Yeah, um, you got to do something. Well, hold on, let's back up for a minute though. During those years where from like 2011 up until 2018, yeah, your yeah, baby, just the yeah, same so thing. 
So it sounds like the training partner you mentioned, the Norwegian, she was at in she was Oklahoma. At OSU. Mm-hmm. Okay, and how long did that training partnership go on? Had, we mean, actually only got to run together for two years, and it was really incredible because we ended up in two years, and that's her going to Norway back home over the summer. Ran five thousand miles just together. Yeah, we were putting in work and just became close. And then after that, though, um. Then I didn't have a training partner. Then I moved to Arizona for a job and joined um, a wonderful, I don't want to knock them at all, but very social running group. Mm-hmm. Here we are, you know, let's run and then go to happy hour. Let's run and then go to breakfast. So you got a great friends, great times. A lot of those races were just because, hey, we're going to a race and it sounds like it'd be fun to go to California and let's go. So it sounds like your training probably fluctuated a lot. I mean, or did it? What uh, did I were weirdly you ran a lot? I feel like I weirdly ran a lot during all that time. I mean, I don't think I don't think outside of a few little injuries here or there since 2011, and I think there's also something to the culmination of all of just that training. But I, I bet I've averaged 70 miles a week. Yeah, since 2007, but it was just not particularly fast, never particularly focused, never focusing on recovery. Um, not just not doing the details, just butting that head against the wall. Of yeah. why aren't I, why aren't I better yet? You know, it was just kind of, yeah, it would get frustrating. And whenever 2016 kind of started to turn the corner, you know, they did that for women. They had that thing where they, bumped up the qualifying time to 243 remember that in 2016 my best was 247 so I knew that was going to be asking a lot and so I was training with a slightly more serious group of the group in Arizona Sonoran Distance Project Mm -hmm. I was training with a couple of those girls some and um we ended up we're kind of all going together and then I ran 245.06 which was a two-minute PR, and then four days later, the IOC said, you know what, 243 is too much. We're jumping it to 245, and ended up being six seconds off when there was mm. just not that much I could do about it. And so, you know, it kind of put that taste in me again, though, that, you know, you're so close. And this is just, I'll tell you, I mean, run every, everything's discipline. We can talk about diet if you want. I'm happy to, but we're back in Oklahoma, and I love it. I'm from Oklahoma. Stillwater is a great place to live and where he's a family. It's an awesome place to go to school. Not a lot going on here, guys. So, you know, they, I don't. I cook. I don't. It's really not super interested in going out to too many places to eat. Not hitting happy hour with my friends. Not. So we just. Raining it in, which is a good place to be a good runner. Actually, we have some great fast runners here. So, you mentioned the four things mm-hmm. the running, core, sleep, and eating. Yeah, those are the big, you got to have those together. So, when you, after you had your baby, you kind of got it together, got more disciplined, uh, singling out the running piece, did much mm-hmm. change with your training, or was it just the kind of combination of having all these things together. He was the combo because um, actually I'm 
very data person, documentation yeah. person. Um, and so I have every single run since 2008 written in a book in the closet behind me. <laughs> um, and I actually did the exact same 14, almost exact same 14 week training cycle before the 240 Chicago as I did before the 245 three years old earlier. Um, literally the same workouts, just a lot faster. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. And I was surprising myself with every workout. It was like, well, that was faster than I've ever gone before. Well, that was faster than I've ever gone before. And that was, and that's motivating too. It's always motivating when you're running fast. Yeah. So talking about the, the trials, February, 2020, mm-hmm. you ran, is it true that you ran at the time, what was your personal best? A little over two minute PR, yeah. So On a crazy and, day. Exactly. And I'm looking at the um you know, everybody has a bib number, which I think must correspond to your like uh the rank of your mm-hmm. best time coming in the race. So you were bib number one thirty two mm-hmm. and there were three hundred and eighty nine finishers. So and you finished thirtieth. So mm-hmm. You know, on paper, you, I don't know what you want to call it, overachieved or, and the other thing is not many people, very few people set a personal best in this race. A lot of people dropped out, had a terrible day, the hills, the wind. Do you think you were just that much fitter than you were, you know, before at your previous race? Or do you think you did something specific for the course that helped you in training or something? Um. I'm kind of going back to that. This is faster than I've ever done anything before. This is faster than I've ever done. Uh, going to Chicago where I qualified for the trials. It was the intimidation. This is faster than I've ever ran a marathon before. And I don't know if I can do it. I crossed the line in Chicago and was like, I could do it and I could do it faster. Mm. So I was excited to get to race again soon. I, I would, I had that confidence. I was probably a little fitter because, you know, the course and the day were insanely much more challenging than Chicago. But, um, yeah, I walked away with the confidence of, yeah, this is something I can do. And I, I think I can do it even better than, than this. So that was awesome. Over the years, how often have you uh, competed in shorter distances or is it just one marathon after another? Um, I've gotten a little bit of a, away from the shorter distance and really not because I wanted to, um, Oklahoma puts on some really great, um, races. And I mean, races, I mean, I don't, I love that racing is social and that there are social races that people like to do. Oklahoma puts on races. <laughs> to see how fast you are and they highlight those fast runners and it's fun. And so, you know, I haven't done any in as much as I'd like to in a couple of years because I was pregnant. So that knocked me off my feet for about nine months. And then, um, and then 2020 kind of canceled a lot of the stuff that I would do, but I'm, I'm looking forward to, I hope they come back on the mix. We got some really fun, really fast five K's that happen in the summer here. And, they're on my calendar if they happen. Mm-hmm. I actually tried. So I spent last summer, whenever all the races got canceled, I really decided this is what I'm going to. I always wanted to be able to break five minutes in the mile. I've never done it. 
I asked the, this 26 year old male grad student if he'd pace me and trained specifically. I spent eight weeks this summer training for the mile and ran 455. And I was nice. Stoked. So that was fun. Other than that, like what's your, how do your other PRs stack up relative to your marathon time? Do you think they're pretty terrible? Um, yeah. I've never broke 16, I've never broke 17 in a 5k. I've always wanted to, I tried that again. And, um, there was a little race here over the summer. Um, very little race <laughs> and, uh, I didn't pull it off. I, I read 1701. <laughs> So, what about your half marathon? What's um, your half marathon best? I ran one sixteen, which is solid. One sixteen high. When um, was that? It was two thousand. This is I know it shouldn't even count as a PR anymore because I'm pretty sure that was two thousand eight. I was about to say that's almost your now marathon pace. So yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I know I came through one seventeen low. I, I would love to run a half. I've been kind of looking for one. I think I'm going to try to race one in May. If okay. I can, I'm signed up for, I'm, I got into grandma's, which has always been a bucket list race of mine. So I'm running uh, grandma's in June and I'm really the half or the full, no, the full, but Oh, me too. I'm half. running grandma's. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, Have you done it before? No, I've, I've never done any marathon before. It's going to oh. be my, well, technically I have run a trail marathon five years ago, but I don't count that, that because count. I didn't. I didn't really train for it. It was kind of a, I barely finished it. It was like a, I fell down cramped. It was a mess. But anyways, this is my first real swing at the marathon. So okay. anyways, um, okay. So trials, February, 2020, you had run a good fall marathon at mm -hmm. Chicago. You came across and you thought I could do this faster. You did it faster in February. Mm -hmm. Okay. Then obviously everything starts getting canceled, shut down. It's like, Okay, so you trained for the mile. That was a good use of your fun. time there. Then I'm imagining the the race because it's like week by week, month by month, races are getting canceled. Like, what are you going to do next? Your plans are changing. Mm -hmm. I noticed that you. Um, so obviously, you already mentioned you ran. You ended up doing the marathon project in December. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask you when that came onto your radar. But it looks like you ran another marathon, like just a few weeks before that in october the mm -hmm. uh, prairie fire marathon is that that's different from the one you mentioned earlier the oklahoma city marathon, mm -hmm. right? yeah this was in wichita yeah so other than that eight week training block for the 455 mile what did your what did 2020 look like for you as far as race calendar training planning and then how did you end up running these two marathons toward the end of the year yeah, so uh, after uh, the trials, I came back and my running partner said, you know, that's a pretty elite number. You could probably get into some bigger races. And I was like, oh, you're right. So I actually emailed grandma's last spring and got an elite entry and was stoked and was literally on the track finishing my workout whenever I got the notification that it was canceled. So... I just, I stopped putting in, I stopped doing workouts from that March to May. And then, yeah, just two really weird things. It was really bizarre, but everything was getting canceled. And I was like, what can I do that's doable? 
for myself, like a mile, I could go a mile myself. And ideally I could find somebody, you know, I figured I could probably find someone around town who could do a mile with me. And um, so that I got that in my mind. And this is going to sound silly. My big goal, my physical goal that I'd wanted to do my entire life and decided at 36, I was going to buckle down and do actually 35 was I've always wanted to be able to do the push up with the clap. <laughs> right? Just one. Just one. Just one in my whole life. I've always wanted to be able to do it and never been able to come close. So I set my sights on that this summer. I was going to get stronger arms and I was going to get quicker. And it took me eight weeks to get to 455. I mean, I was running, let's just say, right, I had already ran 238. I had been running 80 and 90 miles a week. It wasn't like I got off the couch and ran 455. But sure. Um, it took me till it took me like 12 weeks to get to that damn push up with the clap. I was so happy. Um, and then right about that time, actually, um, I, I had ran Prairie Fire before, so you get those little race emails, you know, sign up for us again. And one came through and it said, We just got approval from the state. We're live and this is happening, and you can still sign up. And I didn't even have state. I want to race. When how how far out was it when you got uh, there? Not very far. We were about about <laughs> six weeks. Okay. And so I had time to do four or five longer workouts and then taper. Yeah. Um, it was kind of confidence boosting too because I had not really been training and I ended up soloing it. Like so, I won. I beat all the women and all the men. And broke the Kansas state record <laughs> and it was like 72 degrees with 20 mile an hour winds and I ran 239. So like, that's not my pay up PR, but I was like, yeah, I just comfortably ran a 239 by myself in the hot wind. Somebody have another race, please. Right. <laughs> and then I saw the marathon project on Twitter and just was ready to plead my case. I think I deserve this. I don't have a lot of, credentials but i think i can show up and and compete so you just kind of did a cold cold emailed them or something and asked yeah so in. i read all the details and saw that i could provisionally get in if i did this and this and yeah just did everything i was i was kind of ready to again like if i didn't get in i was ready to call email you know, ben rosario and be like i swear you want me in this or i want to be in it i can do it it was cool. The opportunity was awesome. That makes more sense now that you explain uh, the context of the October, the Prairie Fire Marathon. It wasn't, sounds like it wasn't a full, you know, your full regular 14 week buildup. No, so, I didn't even, I didn't even really taper. Like I normally would need to taper, but I didn't feel like I was tired. I hadn't even trained. Right. And did you know you were going to do the marathon project before you actually raced Prairie Fire? No, I um, knew I wasn't going to find out until at the quickest the day till the day after they said that was when they were going to try to make their announcement. So, yeah, so I had no idea. I was just kind of hoping. So it's like this could be my going into the prairie fire. Mm -hmm. Like I don't. This could be my only chance for a while. So I'm going to go ahead and do it anyways. Yeah, I was. I definitely went in with the mindset of. 
like I didn't have a full buildup, but like I was there to race. I was there yeah. to win. I didn't, ha- I hadn't raced since February. I wanted to do something. Yeah. yeah. So then you found out you got into the marathon project. How did you recover from Prairie Fire? Really weirdly well. Yeah. Normally with a hot day like that, the dehydration kind of kicks your tail a little bit. You got extra soreness. Um, I took a couple of days off because uh, I normally do and um, went out for a run you know, three days later and I was like, hmm, I'm feeling okay. Went for another run the next day, that's Saturday. So six days later, I told my husband, I'm going to go for a run. And 20 miles later at like 650 pace, I was like, I guess I'm over it. I guess I'm over that race. Let's train. And then you didn't even have that much time. It was nine weeks. So that was nine weeks out. Yeah. And then you you end up running like a, what, a four minute PR? Something like that. I mean, what, how do you explain that? Um, again, I think it's that confidence coming out of, because then 2.30, so I came out of Chicago knowing that I had some in the tank, Mm -hmm. right? Go to Atlanta, ready to leave it out there because, you know, I'm going to be 40 in the next trials. So we'll see. Yeah. But, um, ready, ready to leave nothing. And I feel like I'm, I was gassed. Like, I don't think I had a lot left. I actually could see Jordan Hesse right in front of me. And you don't think I didn't want that? I wanted that. (laughs) But I just couldn't. Like, that was what I had that day. But, you know, then we come home and talk to my training partner. I said, you know, that he said, did you were you done? I said, I I was done that day. I was done. I left it out there. And he said, but yeah, in those hills, in that wind. And I was like, yeah, let's get a better course. Let's get a better day. I got more in me. Let's run faster. So, yeah, after that, I was kind of okay. I can do better. So then I ran the 234. Marathon project was awesome. It was awesome. The great course, perfect weather. Mm-hmm. The pace groups, right, were 223 and 229. So I ran the last 24 miles of that race by myself. By I might as well have been in Stillwater, Oklahoma, because there were no fans. There was. There was hard, not even hardly any water stops. There was nothing. And again, I, I mean, that was what I had that day. I felt like I, I gassed it that day. But just imagine Chicago, million fans, just a good a day, a pace group. Let's talk about what our next goal is. And a weird thing, and so I, I don't know, I put this on Twitter, whatever, if anybody out there follows me on Twitter. but um. So just before the marathon project, I was helping some of my students do um, an assignment on sports nutrition. Makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. And I was trying to walk them through this process of analyzing a diet to write a new one. And I'm going through it and I'm like, given my, I mean, I'm not just making stuff up. I'm like, just going through my day. Okay, put this down, put this down, put this down. We did the math, and so three weeks before the marathon project, 
I dumbfoundedly realized that I was barely eating half, half the amount of protein I would recommend to anyone else at my activity level. And I was like, well, so it's a little bit shaky to make a big, huge dietary change just a few weeks before a race. So I didn't. Obviously, what I was doing was working okay, bandaging my way through. Um, But since that race, well, I took the week (laughs) to drink some beer and eat some pizza and that sort of stuff. But I have made this conscious decision to actually meet what my protein needs are. And I feel stellar. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. So I'm excited for the next one. Yeah, like bring on another one. Okay, and that'll be grandma's for you? I might, tr- like I said, I'm looking for a half. I'd love to find a half between now and then. Oh, actually, so I, the Woodl- I, should mention- I run all the time. Sorry, I'm racing the Woodlands Marathon in five weeks, five weeks from today, down in Houston. Woodlands, okay, five weeks. All right, we'll keep an eye out for that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've- I was like, "What? wait, I ran a killer workout today. Why did I do that? It's because I'm racing in five weeks. <laughs> so you mentioned you have a training partner now. Is your training basically just the same stuff you were doing back with your with the Norwegian champion? Just or are you are you coached? Well, actually, I saw that somewhere. I saw you write that you're not coached. No, I'm not coached. Like, what's influenced your training? Um, I don't know. I'd like to the weather. I mean, I make up all my own workouts. I, okay. Um, I mean, based on, I've, obviously I've read stuff on the internet. I have like a favorite workout that I read about a long time ago that way back when like Shalane Flanagan and Kara Goucher trained together. That's how long ago I read about it. That's one that I keep in the mix regularly. Some variation on that. Um, I'm a little bit, I put in the miles and you put in the time on your feet. I'm way more flexible than I used to be. I used to be like, this was the workout. This is what I'm doing mm-hmm. today on my schedule i had a 10 mile run followed by nine times a mile with a minute rest so the idea is you're running 545 pace at 19 miles in mm-hmm. to simulate race without going to exhaustion and needing a week to recover this that's right. the idea of the workout get your legs tired run your race pace on tired legs it's a great right. workout i highly recommend it but okay um Today in Oklahoma, the the wind, the straight line wind, not the gust, 30 miles an hour. So, you know what I didn't feel like doing in that? Freaking mile repeats. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> um, well, actually, there's a, it's a 5K loop around a lake and set it up where most of the time the hard stuff was wind at the side and back. So, we actually did five times two mile instead with a mile recovery, um, okay. but nonstop for 20 miles. So, yeah. So I just kind of like never done that before. Never heard of that workout before. I just didn't feel like doing mile repeats in 30 mile an hour wind. Yeah. <laughs> Still good work. Yeah. And I think that's something you kind of find out is that there's no one or even a series of like magic workouts that are the trick. It's, it's like a, it's a long-term cumulative effect of like consistency and, but acknowledging that, are there any kind of like major core guiding principles you have, or is it kind of just, you know, overall high volume and then like one or two good 
workouts a week that vary a lot? Or do you have any kind of philosophy around training? Yeah, I mean, I think the consistency, the whole Des Linden keep showing up. It every marathon is you know, from you don't the great thing about a marathon I mean the great thing probably about any race is a you even even with from a bad race you learn something from it. Mm-hmm. Even from a bad race, you got in a twenty six mile training run that day, you know, God willing and you finished. Even from you know, like you don't really lose a lot on that. You gotta you gotta keep going. Um I think the big stuff is for me is have short term memory, the good mm-hmm. and the bad. Um, I had a workout leading up to the marathon project. I was going to do like some Yasso 800s, right? The classics. I showed up to the track that day. I couldn't hit the, my goal pace on number one. So I tried and thought, well, I'll warm up. Let me try number two. <laughs> I ran slower. I started number three, got mad, walked to my car and left. <laughs> And then was feeling like a failure, but that was a day. Forgot about it. Crushed Saturday's workout. Moved on. You can't go on the fact that I ran 234 that one time in December at that race. No one else was hardly at. It's not going to mean anything (laughs) at grandma's because if I go run 238, I can't be like, but I ran 234 that one time before. Can I get my paycheck? Yeah. No. (laughs) So, yeah, short-term memory. Another thing is that I kind of, I don't even know if this, but, you know, there's like a great, I'm back in basketball, my, my basketball glory days. You know, we always focus on muscle memory. You know, you do free throws till you automatic. You do layups till they're automatic. One thing I don't like to do, and I make it my point not to do, is workouts until they're automatic. Mm. If it's automatic, you better find a new workout. Mm. I just feel like you can't get comfortable. Races are mm-hmm. never comfortable. So yeah. yeah, I don't I don't like those automatic workouts. Right. Like this is what I do. This is what I do every time, three mm-hmm. weeks out or something. Yep. I don't like that. Um so even so you don't like to have you don't have any kind of like quote indicator workouts like I know I'm ready to run this if I ran this kind of thing. Yeah, that's a great. So this so my training partner, he's a young guy, young, quite a bit younger than me. Um and he's just kind of got the marathon bug. So he's quicker than me cuz he's a 26-year-old guy. But he's marathon's a bit slower than mine. So we're kind of catching up to one another. Mm-hmm. Um and he it blows his mind. It blows his mind that I go into this race knowing I can run 234 when I spend so little of my week at 552 pace. Mm-hmm. How do you know? He says, I feel like if I've got to run this pace, I got to. And, I, you know, I don't I don't know. Yeah. What are those indicators? It's it's the little things I, I go based off. Now, I, you know, a little bit more sophisticated with the watches and the Strava. We were running two-mile repeats at 5.45, 5.50, and my heart rate was 140, right? That's an indicator. That's an indicator right. I can do this for a while. I don't need to prove myself for 26 miles today, Right. Saturday, so many weeks out, whenever I'm – yeah, so it's, it's the little things. It's going to be the fact that, you know, if I can wake up tomorrow and I feel good – I've already recovered from 
yeah, it's those things. I, I don't pick a workout. It's too much. You can't hold your life on one workout. No, and that's kind of an oversimplistic view. I mean, and right. but that's what uh, yeah. that's what we like to do. We like to simplify. We want to have black and white. I check this box. That means I can do the next step. But the body is definitely very complex. And it sounds like you're very in tune with your body over the years and everything. Um, but when you think about kind of zooming back like marathon to marathon year to year and wanting to get faster. Like, do you intentionally change any particular thing because you want to improve? Like, okay, I'm going to do these different workouts or maybe some of the same ones, but I'm just going to hit faster. I'm going to target faster paces on certain workouts or up my overall volume. Like, do you have any kind of strategy in mind when you are thinking about improving? You know, I would like to pretend like I had that foresight and you're asking me about it now and me reflecting on it. I would say my biggest strategy has not been more or faster. It's been less recovery. Right. You think about it for, I mean, an elite, sub elite, whatever I am, runner. I've been running since college. A 5.52 mile is pedestrian. Really, right? That's pedestrian. A lot of people can do that. Not a lot of people can do it 26 times. Mm -hmm. That's the point. So I haven't, I I don't need to be able to run faster to run 5.52 miles. I don't need to be able to run more than a certain amount, right? I've got to be able to string them together. So the whole thing that has changed the most as I've been building up to this is shorter recovery and shorter recovery and that sort of thing. So you mean like inside a given workout? Inside a given workout, their work recoveries just keep getting shorter and faster. For me, that's been a huge thing. Used to be just stop. Okay. (laughs) Interval over, stop, grab your knees, get a drink. (laughs) Right. Well, that makes sense. I mean, that is very intuitive because you're, you're making it more like the actual event you're going to be racing. So you mentioned when we started, you got big things coming or like in mind. Is that just kind of generally faster, faster times more? You know, what what do you have in mind for the future? Yeah, I just, um, yeah, faster. Frankly, we, my running partner and I have been using the words uncharted territory Mm -hmm. for about a year now because we didn't know if I could go sub 245. And then we didn't know if I could go sub 240. And now we go to these workouts and and he and he jokes too. He said, used to, I wasn't worried about hitting your pace because it was a slow enough pace. And he said, now I got to ask in advance, like, how fast do I have to run these today to keep up? Um, yeah, so I still think this uncharted territory that I'm in is exciting. I, I don't feel tapped, you know, so even though, right, I I gave it my best shot on that day in December in Arizona, um, learning new things about my body all the time and, you know, little tweaks that you can do as you get older. You got to be careful when you get older, like Mm -hmm. making sure you're getting adequate amounts of protein in your diet. I feel like that's kind of going to be a little bit of a game changer for me. Um, Right. That's a huge. I was getting. Yeah, significantly less than I really should. And um, so I'm like thinking, man, I went a year. I took went from a 245 to a 234 girl on a year. Mm-hmm. 
of that. Let's see what I can do on a year of doing this right. So, um, and I hate to put a number on anything, but she'd love to see the sub two thirty, right? Because that's going to be the next big one. What's the next big thing you do? Yeah. It doesn't mean anything. You can talk about it all you want. I mean, it means something cool to me and my friends. Um, two thirty three, two thirty two, two thirty. But it's like that weird point, awkward time in your age after you turn 21 and the only thing you have left to look forward to is being able to rent a car at 25. <laughs> right. I feel like I'm at this such a weird, awkward point in my life. Like how exciting is it that I am a two thirty four marathoner, but there is not much to look forward to between two thirty four and two twenty nine thirty, Right. I mean, as far as time goes. Well, think about it though. You made a four minute jump in the same calendar year without the protein change and without a real race, you know? Yeah. So you put the protein thing, oh. more training and a real race together. Who knows? Right. Yeah. No, no there's just no telling. So you mentioned discipline. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're a very, it sounds like you have many demands on your time. Uh, I mean, just a two year old alone. She's Forget your full time job. I mean, what, uh, I mean, is that just something that's kind of, it's happened out of necessity? I mean, I don't even like this question, but I'm curious about, like, how do you manage training against your job, your family? I mean, what's, like, you just get up really early and that's it, get it done? Yeah, I definitely have learned about myself that the more I do, the more I'm capable of doing. (laughs) Um, I've had a couple of opportunities in my life where I've had a little bit of a cushy job where I was single, where I didn't have a kid and uh, I didn't do a lot else. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, that's just my personality that I can relax. I will. And I did. I was barely breaking three hours in the marathons when I was running that time. Um and it's an interesting thing. I mean, I really just like running. I, I'm lucky that it's just, and I know it's a crazy thing to like, but you're talking to you. I assume you like it pretty much too, right? Yeah. Some yeah. people just like running and it's, I don't like running by headlamp at 5am. I really don't. But every day I want to run. And most days of the week, if I want to run, that's when I can do it. So I want to run today. That's when I'm going to do it because then I have to get the kid up and help get for the daycare and work eight hours and then come home and then cook dinner and read the books and get the milk and play the games. And then I got to put her to bed. Then I got to write the grants and I got to grade the papers and I got to do the core workouts. Yeah, I was going to ask, when do you do that? Um, At night? Sundays, I do do it during her nap. And, uh, I, yeah, night, my, after she goes to bed, luckily two year olds go to bed early. That's thank God. Usually she's in bed about seven 30 or so. So I got a little bit of time, but I got to be in bed by nine if I'm going to get up by five and go run. So it's tight. When I ran Wichita in, in October, I actually had my mom go with me to the race and I graded 80 exams in the car on the way to and from Wichita to run the 239 so that I could do that. 
So you just got to be good time management. You said after you had your baby, you got down to pre-pregnancy weight and then you lost another 12 pounds. Yeah, that was Um, weird. I'm really curious, and especially since you're like a nutrition professional, Mm -hmm. that sounds like something really hard to do. And this sounds kind of counterintuitive, but when you're running a lot, it seems Mm -hmm. like it'd be hard to eat enough Mm -hmm. to fuel your training and have enough of a deficit to lose weight. How did you go about that? I'm not going to lie. It's still a little bit, I joke about the hard reset post baby, but (laughs) it's not really a huge joke because typically 35 year old women don't lose weight that easily anyway. Um, and then, did yeah, you make it, any conscious changes or I did though. I mean, that was, that was that whole point of, yeah, I have this baby and I want her when I, I want her to grow up and I want her to eat well. And I knew what I was supposed to do. Right. I think a, a big part of it was and a little bit too, given my props to rural Oklahoma, I, where are we going to go out to eat? Right. And if I'm going to cook, I'm not going to make French fries. I mean, I, please, this is not a, I don't like to vilify food. I like French fries as much as the next person. Right. But um, I, you know, if I'm going to cook, I might as well cook well. And so we've been back here and I, uh, we, actually, my husband loves Chick-fil-A. We go to Chick-fil-A really every single Friday night, by the way. <laughs> and have for, and we probably will till till we're done. But yeah. so yeah, but um a little bit of a conscious decision to but it kind of it was just weird. I have said it seemed like my metabolism sped up a bit and I mm. don't know where that came from. I know a little bit of it was yeah that I wasn't dropping by the drive-through as many times a week. Um wasn't doing happy hour mm-hmm. as many times a month because I got the baby to come home to don't stop for beers after work. Whenever you got to pick up a two year old and drive, you know, a baby and drive them <laughs> home. That's irresponsible. So <laughs> that would seem like, you know, just a good choice. And so, yeah, it just kind of, um, that's really what kind of cut it out. Like okay. we just stopped. So everything I was doing was from home, I'm eating everything from home, drinking everything from home. And if I'm doing it from home, I might as well do it right. Yeah. So it was a big help for me. Do you think anybody training at your level, you know, 80, 90 miles a week should have any problem uh, staying at optimal weight? I mean, do you have any general thoughts about nutrition at for someone your level of training? Yeah, I ran a lot of miles at darn near overweight for a long time. You look at those times, you, there's some 258 marathons in there, mm-hmm. 257s, and it was darn near overweight um, because you're hungry. Right. 80 miles a week, you're hungry. Um, and so it, it, I found it incredibly hard. I actually... From the first time I ever trained for the marathon, the very first one back in 2011, I gained five pounds <laughs> because I was hungry and I wasn't 
hadn't really thought about how much planning you need to do beforehand. So it was like, I ran 20 miles a day. That's the furthest I've ever ran. I'm starving. Let me go get a burrito. Right. Let me go get a, you know, I need sugar right away. Let me grab a liter of mountain, you know, regular mountain dew or something like that. Right. And so the biggest thing now, and it has to do with the kiddo and the job and the husband and the training is um, on Saturday morning when I go to the grocery store, I actually have a list and I know everything I'm going to eat for the next seven days of the week, mm. close to it. And so I have it out, right? I did a 20 mile workout today with two by five by two miles in the middle of it. And I knew what I was going to have afterwards because mm. I didn't have to think about it. I didn't, I didn't stop on my way home for a burrito because it was ready when I got here. Right. That was the that was the conscious thing that I learned to do was be ready to eat for the training after the training. You're not going to make good choices. Hmm. It's just hard to make good choices after that kind of training. So you're making the good choice in advance. And do you think the good choice is not necessarily to eat less, but just higher quality yeah, or does quality. quantity matter? It's, it's qual. I think it's, for me, it's quality. Um, you know, I used to, the big thing was I recognized cause I have the nutrition, right. And know what I should race weight. And like, you can be on a start line and look to your left and look to your right and be like, I weigh 15 pounds more than every other girl here. <laughs> um, that's, and, and I don't like making those comparisons, but there's a little bit too carrying two extra bowling balls worth of weight <laughs> in a race. Right. And so I would try to lose weight and then I would be hungry because I would eat less or, and that wasn't working because then I didn't feel like I could run. And so, yeah, now, I mean, I've like just great quality foods waiting for me that I like. The other thing I've gotten a little bit better at just growing up and being a better cook, you know, so yeah. I can make those foods taste a little better. And I will say this, and it's really hard this is a harder part of rural Oklahoma and this is a hard fact for a lot of people I know, but it's expensive to eat. Well, dad gummit, it costs a lot of money to eat. Well, um, and even in grad school, we used to, you know, commiserate about how we were getting our PhDs in nutrition. And that week we were going to decide if we were going to eat fruits or vegetables, right. right? It's expensive. And so I'm really fortunate finally in my practicing professional career and my husband's a successful professional. And so I can go to the store and buy what I need mm-hmm. without thinking about it. And that's a huge thing. And so I, I've been kind of putting this stuff out on Twitter for um, what I've been changing, how, how I've incorporated the extra protein into my diet. I tried to make really conscious decisions about making those affordable suggestions that it's expensive so since you're like a nutrition professional phd rd i would love to ask you a few more nutrition related questions which i'm sure you always get if you have a few more minutes sure and we'll wrap up so staying on the topic of losing weight for a second this is something i'm personally Mm -hmm. uh wrestling with here theoretically it's for every pound you need to lose or whatever it's simple. It math in theory. It's calories, calories out, in, calories out. Right? If you want to do the actual math, it's thirty five hundred calories 
per pound of fat. fat yeah. Okay, so if I need to have a calorie deficit of 3,500 calories per week to lose one pound of fat, but then the quality matters. So mm-hmm. if the if you have a higher quality diet versus a lower quality diet, mm-hmm. I assume the same math still applies. You still have to have the deficit, right? Yeah, I mean, that's it. And it's the hard truth. Yeah, the calorie deficit, the energy deficit has to be there. Um, yeah. There's some great science, some interesting, just fun internet science, but it's from very, you know, people that I respect who, you know, the guy who lost 30 pounds eating nothing but Twinkies. He just, <laughs> just calculated the calorie yeah. deficit <laughs> and only ate Twinkies to that amount of calories. Right. Yeah. Um. If obviously, he wasn't getting to eat a whole lot. Because it doesn't take that many twin- Twinkies to add up to 1,800 calories. But. So I think sometimes it, there can be this perception that's like, well, if you're eating good food, food you can eat as much as you want. Kind of the mm. opposite of this Oh, yeah. Guy. Like the, ch- the toll. Uh, I mean, I don't want to throw Chipotle under the bus either. Please don't get me in trouble with Chipotle, right? Oh, but go, like, ahead, go ahead. They love, you know, you feel. They've empowered you to feel good. Right. About <laughs> eating that Chipotle. And I like it. Yeah. Is yeah, 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 right. But it's a, salty. a lot of calories. Yeah, you know, a, a standard meal is going to put you a thousand, fifteen hundred calories, depending on what you put on that burrito. Right. Um. And so it's quality food, but it's a lot. <laughs> Since whether it's good food or bad food, it's at the bottom line. It's really just about the numbers here. So, mm-hmm. do you think it's do you think there's anything to like um, maybe some of the lower quality calories are more calorie dense or something yeah, like that? Do you think there's something? That's a huge, that's a huge part of it. Right. Um, you know, so you don't have to eat as much of it f- right. to get as many calories, right? This much Cheetos, 250 calories, this much carrots, 35 calories. Right. They look the same. They both fit in your hand. That's a huge difference. Um, yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's it. And that's, and that's the hard part of it. You know, you think about, um, the, what, McDouble is a dollar, a dollar. And it's like 500 calories. It's a great value. Yeah. yeah. It's a six inch sub subway, you know, not five dollar foot long. Yeah. Yeah. There's that depending on what you get on it, but you know, you go to, subway and you could do all the veggies on the whole wheat and whatever but it's five times it's five dollars versus one dollar and it's the same amount of calories and it's <laughs> six inches long and it's not right so yeah it's just it's density and that's the great american paradox right it's expensive to lose weight it's cheap to be obese. so you think the whole trick is you can eat like when you're comparing the Cheetos versus the carrots, you're kind of holding your hands up and saying, mm-hmm. you can have the uh, handful of Cheetos or a handful of carrots. And one is like whatever, 200. It's literally almost 200 calories more for the handful of Cheetos. It's a lot. Cause the whole thing problem here is you feel hungry. So you want to eat. Do you think you can just eat fewer calories of high quality foods and just feel fuller? Cause you have to eat more of it to get mm-hmm. the same number of That's calories. Huge, oh yeah. I mean, even just, um, Hot dog, pack of tuna, twice as many calories in the hot dog than the mm. tuna. Costs the same amount for a pack of hot dogs as it does for one pouch of tuna. Mm-hmm. It's so yeah, we're really, but yeah, you feel full. I mean, that my plate, 
I think I showed, yeah, there's some pictures on there. I eat a lot, but at lunch, Mm -hmm. half of my plate is fruits and vegetables. There's some dairy and there's some protein. And at dinner, same thing. I get a big plate. At least half of it's fruits and vegetables. They're filling. I mean, I like good stuff. I mean, right. I'm not a monster. I put cheese on my broccoli, but you know, do, do the best you can. Um, so, when it comes to training and racing, how concerned are you when you go into race a marathon? How concerned are you with the whole glycogen depletion problem? Do you plan much for that? Like, what's what's your take on all that? Um, I tr- I do. I do, I would never have categorized it as this, but I do what would be categorized as glycogen glycogen depletion depleted training. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't today because it was storming this morning, so we didn't run till this afternoon. But um, most of the time, I wake up. And I go around 20 miles and I have zero calories before that. Or during. Or during. Yeah. And the, so I don't recommend that for obviously everybody and for a lot of things. Um, but if, for, you know, it forces you to hit that glycogen depletion state, which causes your body to rely on other fuel sources. Um, what I will say is if you're, next fuel source is fat right Mm -hmm. that we have an abundant supply of even very lean individuals have an abundant supply um fat burns in an oxygen fire i always tell my students that say that again fat burns in an oxygen fire it actually takes a lot of oxygen to burn fat so if you are trying to run very fast like real fast glycogen depleted splint, you're not going to do it. It You don't have enough oxygen to burn the fat you need to keep going. It truly. Um, I can show my workouts that I can't go as fast in that state, like just a dead on sprint. But I have an unfortunate, actually I have a pretty darn high VO2 max, even for just a or what would be considered a late runner. So I have a lot of oxygen available to break into those fat stores. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the glycogen depletion is good. This was, did well for me at the marathon project. So I, in all that, so we actually took our daughter with us, two-year-old. She just turned two, which meant she had to wear a mask on the plane. Hard to make a two-year-old do that. I was nervous as all get out about it. And I had work to deal with and had to do the COVID testing and I had to get my, you know, just lots of stuff going on. And then somewhere I missed the memo that we were responsible for all of our own fluids. I did not learn that until 3 p.m. the day before the race when the fluids were due at 6 p.m. And (laughs) I was ill prepared. Um, But I tell you what, I mentally and physically was ready for the I mean I I managed to get some, managed to get them some Gatorade to have out on the course for me, mm-hmm. and people were joking and not joking, but like you probably could have ran faster. I ended up maybe getting maybe getting sixty or eighty calories worth of Gatorade in during that whole thing. Wow! Um, so it was lucky that my body was used to it. But you yeah. never like hit the wall, so to speak, or anything. I mean, it was close, but yeah. yeah. But I think, yeah, I mean, it goes back to that whole 
uh, you got to train for that. Yeah. It's to not panic. I always said I wanted to write one of these days, write a blog. I, my first one was always going to be um, about a marathon and I was going to call it. Um, um, oh crap, I just um, trying not to panic through a controlled death. <laughs> right. Because that's really what you're doing. And I think this is where a lot of people <laughs> you think about a marathon. You there's literally no way to store enough glycogen to get your body to 26 miles. Right. So you're going to complete depletion. Mm -hmm. Um, You're running out of oxygen that whole time too. You're running out of water. You're getting dehydrated, right? All the things that you need to live, sugar, water, oxygen, you're just slowly losing the further you go. And a big part of that is just staying calm. Mm-hmm. Because if you panic, it gets worse because your heart rate goes up more. Your breath rate goes up faster. You're, um, yeah. So you got to, if you understand the physiology behind it and you know what you're feeling, this is my body responding this to this. Mm-hmm. This is how my body's going to respond to this. And I, I force my body through it. Almost every Saturday, so I just am comfortable with it now. You mentioned that uh, you cannot store enough glycogen in your body through your muscles or in your liver Mm-mm. or in your bloodstream. You can't mm-hmm. have enough ahead of time going into the race to last 26 miles. It's just nope. not it's, it's math, right? Math. Calm. But then, I mean... Obviously, most people have some kind of fueling plan where they're taking in calories during the race. Is mm-hmm. for most people, can they bridge that gap with the fueling they're taking in during the race? You think? Oh, that's so individual. Um, some people have a much higher metabolic rate than others. Um, mm-hmm. You know, people certainly. I know plenty of people that go twenty six miles and never consume anything. Mm. um or but water i've i mean i've talked to these people and they finish right and they're alive they're telling me their story now is that optimized for performance no they have to slow down to tap into those fat have enough oxygen available to tap into those fat stores right right. that's not good yeah but i mean eventually you're going to start tapping into some of the blood glucose your blood sugar is going to drop that is the wall right Mm. So the blood glucose is the last to go. Like you use the the muscle glycogen, the liver glycogen, and then whatever's left in your bloodstream. I mean, if you'll try to use fat next, if you can, but if you don't slow down, I mean, that's mm-hmm. really, that's the game you're playing at the end. You either, your body will slow down enough to be able to oxidize fats to keep itself alive. Right. I mean, that's just how it works. Yeah. Versus or start pulling some of that glucose from your blood. But even then, it'll only dip so low before you either pass out or slow down. And I've always heard that at any given point, whether you're just sitting still or running all out, you know, the whole continuum, continuum, you're always using some combination of sugar and fat. It's just the mm-hmm. ratios drastically change mm-hmm. based on the intensity. 
So that I think that makes it complicated when you're trying to simplify it like this and come up with a plan because all these things are kind of bleeding together, right? It's really I mean, hard. So I tell my students, you know, people like to, and there was a little thing where people were like, oh, low intensity exercise. That's low intensity exercise. That's the way to go because that's when you're maximally burning fat. That is very true. If you look measuring somebody's fuel that they're burning while they're out on a stroll, the vast majority of it's coming from fat. They're just burning so few calories. It doesn't really matter. You crank that up to about 65% of your VO2 max. The most of your calories are coming from glycogen. Um, yeah. And so you're, you're sustained. You can go about, you know, ish four hours before your blood glucose starts to really dip, really dip. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you're just playing that that most dangerous game. That's the you know advantage of athletes with the high VO2 max. They have that capacity to be able to still go fast and bur- and tap into those fuel sources that other people can't get into as much. Right, because they're I guess at marathon pace, they're just not at the right same percentage of at, their max. Exactly, that's the, right. that's the difference. So, you know, uh, people put so much planning and effort into their fluids and bottles and what they're going to take during a race. You know, it's mm-hmm. planned down to like the ounce and the calorie. Mm-hmm. Like at this every 30 minutes at this mile, I'm taking this mm-hmm. and then whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay. <clears throat> but like you mentioned, the the vast majority of the energy you're going to use during the race has already been stored in your body. Yeah. Right? I mean, you got, most people can store 20 miles worth of glycogen. So you have right. that much. So since we're talking about such a pretty small window here, like a, a small margin of error, like you can store roughly 20 miles. Mm-hmm. You're going to hopefully use a little bit of fat to make up some of the difference mm-hmm, to conserve mm-hmm. some of the glycogen and then mm-hmm. some fueling to help bridge the gap. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's tight. You know, if you're trying it's not tight. to hit the wall, it's tight, right? So, oh, you, you know, you hear people mention kind of in passing uh, carbo loading, that kind of thing, but I don't hear any details because it seems like that should be the focus is let's make sure we're full before the race Mm -hmm. you know like topped off because that's the chunk that's the biggest chunk of our energy Mm -hmm. source so um is there i don't know what the question is here but i i'm I'm wondering what the like if there's an optimal way to make sure you're oh that you have all 20 you have all 2000 calories of glycogen that you can get in because, I mean, when does that loading start? Is it like 24 hours before? Is it 12 hours before? Is it, you know? Yeah. So the nice thing is that it, the way humans sort of consume meals, uh, at any given meal, we still eat more than we need at that meal. That's just the way it's just how it works. Um, but, yeah, there's definitely a lot to um, making sure those fuel sources. It's It's interesting because... And a lot of people don't realize this. If you eat dinner five or six p.m., right, and and you ta- and you fill your glycogen tank, let's say let's just say you had a good meal, you, it's you're tapped, you're you know you're you're here. By eighteen hours later, so not that long later, right? It's, you eat at five, you get to five, and it can be less than that depending on the meal between five eight. But before you even wake up, especially if you're a runner with a pretty fast metabolism, you've broke into those glycogen stores. 
in By your sleep. By the time you wake up, just to maintain glucose levels in your sleep, that's where you go first. Glycogen first. So it's really important to get those carbs in when you wake up yeah. before that race to restock the supply, mm-hmm. um, which is what I focus on. That's something you can control. I think another strategy I do with those 20-mile runs is where no fuel, no water, no nothing is it's hard to shit happens in a race guys i went to cim one time i didn't realize i've always relied on glycogen or gatorade during the race just the gatorade at the tables cim was union using noon noon has no calories guess who bonked this girl (laughs) went to cim again was good enough to be in the pace group um the pack was so big I didn't get my first cup of water till halfway through the race, Mm. right? Crap happens. You got to plan for that crap. You know what I can control? Breakfast in my room that morning. I pack it, right? And so you get to get my tank is never not topped off before the start line. And the rest, I'm just mentally prepared to deal with. Yeah. Are you really dialed into the numbers as far as like, I need this many calories the night before this many, the morning of, or that kind of thing? No, just like until you're not hungry. No, I wouldn't say I definitely am not a numbers person. I don't count the calories really. Um, Cause like you said, you're going to eat more than you need probably mm -hmm. anyways. Yeah. What I did for um, the trials, I think this was the smart move. This is my chess player game, right? Um, who the hell has a marathon at 1 p.m.? No one ever. No one ever does that. Right. So for the 12 re- weeks that I had to get ready for that race, I ran every Saturday and Sunday at 1 p.m. so mm. that I knew exactly how much I needed to fuel myself through something at 1 p.m. and how much wasn't too much. Right. You know what? You know, the first three or four weeks of that, it was a good thing. I was in the bathroom. Well, that was too much mm-hmm. or I was stopped. That wasn't enough. It took about a month to be like right there. So I spent, this is how much I need to eat to run 26 miles at 1 p.m. without crapping my pants. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a fine line. So you right. got it. So now I kind of have that. Now. So then, you you know, the race is at seven. You better know how much you need to eat at seven and control Yeah. Them. Right. Tell people that practice what you're going to eat and then pack it. It might not be there. (laughs) And we did, you know, and it's how religious I am. I said, my husband and I eat Chick-fil-A every Friday night and we do that and we do that. And we got to Georgia and I had packed my breakfast and my carbs and my stuff for the race. And it was Friday night. And I was like, (laughs) I guess we're going to Chick-fil-A. And that's what I did. I practiced it. I knew that I could run 26 miles the next day after the deluxe with Colby Jack and a large cars. <laughs> well, it's about bedtime, so uh, mm-hmm. we can go ahead and wrap up. But mm-hmm. again, thanks so much for sharing your story and some nutrition advice. Chick-fil-A is on Friday, everybody. <laughs> hey, I mean, you really can't beat Chick-fil-A. Like, I just kind of go there and I'm in awe. Like, how... You know, the where best. where do where do these people go to get trained? Like, I want to I want to be in the training center when these employees are like going because how do you get that many people to get on board with 
that level of service. I don't I actually know. saw CNN headline and have never been happier because you see the memes about, I wish the people that were running the Chick-fil-A drive through right. were running the government. Yeah. Yeah. Literally the CDC has pulled in the manager, some of the managers from Chick-fil-A and um, it was another like organizing thing to say, help us roll out the vaccine. And that's awesome. Yes. Thank you. So yeah. cool. Um, maybe they had uh, Chick-fil-A consultants uh, handle the water stations at the trials. I heard that was a really good operation. That, yeah. was, beautiful. that was beautiful. Yeah. Incredible. Well, anyways, um, maybe I'll see you in Duluth in June. I'm going to be there. My wife and I are going. It's going to be my first real marathon. And I might be um, chasing you. I don't know. We'll see how the next few months go. But All right. Cool. Well, yeah. I'll be looking forward to I'm definitely already looking forward to the race. It's always been on one of the my marathon bucket lists. So hopefully we get to knock it off. I think so. They seem to have a good plan in place. And at this point, it seems like we're moving forward. Boston announced for real. So that's cool. Right. Yeah. So. All right. All right. Well, thanks again. And I'll put in the show notes here your uh, I'll link people to your Twitter and stuff so they can follow along and okay, cool. see what you're eating for breakfast. Yeah. All right. Thanks for the invite. It was an honor. So I really appreciate it.